This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The strange but true story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find unsettling. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Welcome back to this very spooky instalment of Things Are About To Get Weird. I hope you're all well and have had a good couple of weeks. You'll be pleased to hear that my voice is fully back to normal after my cold. I was still suffering a bit in the last episode, but all is good now. Anyway, it is October and although I'm someone fascinated by ghost stories and tales of hauntings all year round, what most people would consider spooky season is well and truly upon us. So how could I resist taking a voyage into the paranormal for this episode? Because let me tell you, the second I stumbled across the place I'm going to be telling you about today, figuratively via my research rather than in person, for now at least, I was captivated. This episode is all about the former asylum known as Newsham Park Hospital, or simply Park Hospital, located just one county over from me in the Tubrook area of Liverpool. I always knew that we had plenty of ghostly properties in the northwest of England. However, I hadn't heard of this particular site before, but believe me when I tell you it is seriously creepy, so be prepared as things are going to get a little scary. Just before before we start, I will be mentioning the ghosts and therefore the deaths of some children today, which I know is a very sensitive subject, as well as references to mental health conditions, so I just wanted to make you aware of that before we begin. But if you're still with me, get ready for some proper goosebumps. I wanted to start by painting you a picture of what Newsham Park Hospital looks like, because from the outside, you can tell it was once quite magnificent. It's a grade two listed building, which means it's considered to be of special architectural or historical significance, and it's granted certain protections. It's this huge brown brick sprawling structure with a tower and chimneys and rows of triangular window bays. There are around three acres of land on the estate where the building stands, with views of the park's two lakes from various parts of the property. Although it's best known today as being a former asylum, home to patients requiring psychiatric care, it was originally built as an orphanage for the children of seamen, but not necessarily just ones who had died. If a child's father was away at sea working, but their mother had sadly passed away, it was common for them to be sent to a quote-unquote orphanage. After opening in the late 19th century, it's said to have housed over 800 children at a time, which explains why the structure is so large. But whilst the exterior looks fairly neat for an abandoned building, the inside is a whole different story. Back in 2015, Newsham Park Hospital actually went up for sale priced at £1.5 million, and as a result, a number of photographs of the interior were released. 
The Liverpool Echo newspaper published some of them and it is no exaggeration to say that they look like the set of a horror film. The images show damaged hospital beds still positioned in the middle of these massive rooms, with the paint peeling off the walls and ceilings and grungy puddles covering the floors. Although it is most commonly referred to as being a former asylum, it was at one point also a general hospital, and the old hospital wards are pictured with these discoloured yellow partitions and rusty bed frames with stained curtains draped across them. There are these old chairs eerily positioned in circles and semicircles around tables, as though the people sitting in them had suddenly vanished. The fact that these scenes look so organised and orderly makes it even stranger, because so much of the rest of the former hospital is in total disarray. It is possible that these are a more recent addition, but it is hard to know. Still, the scenes look pretty odd. There are countless dark and dingy corridors, narrow staircases and creepy relics from decades past. Old mannequins in the laundry room, broken wheelchairs, the mortuary fridges, lockers belonging to long-gone staff members, and even a discarded organ, which has to be the most ominous of all musical instruments, right? The hospital finally closed for good in 1997, which always feels more recent than it is, but as I'm speaking now, that's 26 years ago. So it's no wonder that everything looks in such a poor state after being untouched for so long. Now, the building was first opened back in 1874 by the then Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Alfred, who was a son of Queen Victoria's. Its first official name was the Seaman's Orphanage and it might not come as much of a shock to find out that the conditions weren't all that wonderful. During and after the First World War, and then later the Second World War, the number of children living at Newsham Park increased drastically, and one of them, a lady named Phyllis Gallimore, spoke to the BBC about her experience at the orphanage after she arrived there in 1939. She said, I was five years old. The orphanage in Newsham Park was Oliver Twist style. Soup every day, and they weren't fussy about how they punished you. It was really cruel. Brothers and sisters were segregated, can you believe it? You could only see your siblings for a few hours on a Saturday. Oh, it's genuinely so upsetting to think about what that must have felt like for those kids. In some of the photos released of the inside of the building, you can see that in the attic, there are rows of cupboards, which were apparently used as one of the kinds of punishments Phyllis was alluding to. It's said that if children misbehaved, they were locked in these cupboards for hours as a twisted form of discipline. And it's here that we encounter our first ghost in this story. Over the years, staff members and patients alike have reported regular instances of intense banging coming from these cupboards. This was long after the facility was converted from the orphanage into the hospital and later the asylum. And that's not all. Numerous people have told of their encounters with the ghost of a small boy believed to have been a former orphanage resident named Adam, who died after being locked in one of the cupboards as a punishment. 
he's allegedly been sighted opening and closing the cupboard doors, which would of course match up with the accounts of those banging noises. And these sightings have not just been witnessed by those who formerly stayed or worked in the building. Ghost hunters who have been able to visit Newsham Park on some of their limited number of tours that have happened there in recent years have also reported strange paranormal activity around that same attic area, as though there is someone or something still trapped in the cupboards, or opening them up to try and free the souls shut inside. But, whilst those who have felt the spirit of this little boy have spoken out about it feeling incredibly tragic and sad, it's not often described as feeling dark or as though it was trying to cause harm to the living. The same cannot be said for encounters that have happened elsewhere in the building though, and it's at this point that things take a turn for the terrifying, so prepare yourselves. One of the reasons we know so much about the more sinister happenings at Newsham Park Hospital is because of one former employee named John Gray. He worked at the hospital as a switchboard operator and on reception from 1973 to 1986, and around six years ago, he decided to speak to the Liverpool Echo newspaper about some of the things he experienced during that time. I'm actually going to read his full quote to you because in these situations, it is priceless to have this kind of first-hand account, especially from someone who spent so much time in a haunted location. John said, It's evil, pure evil. That place should have been demolished years ago. I worked long, hard shifts at night and the staff were terrified of going to certain parts of the hospital. You could feel the evil when you walked in, it was in the atmosphere. When I was made redundant, I could not have got out of there quick enough. I remember going down into the basement one night to get a blanket to keep myself warm. As I walked in, I saw a man in a white coat with no head walk past and straight through the wall. I flew out of the room. It was terrifying. Another time I was at reception and there used to be a stone staircase opposite. I looked up and saw a woman in a Victorian dress. She was there for a second and then disappeared. I found out that she was the old matron from when it used to be an orphanage. There were so many stories, so many people saw things. Staff were terrified of going to parts of the hospital because of the paranormal activity. On the old sea ward, there was an old cast iron staircase that no one would go up because it led to a corridor that had lines of cupboards where the children were put if they were naughty. You would hear banging from the cupboards. If you have never been to Newsham Park, take my advice, never go. That place is evil. I worked there for 13 years and I will never go back. I have a few thoughts on John's interview statements. Firstly, we have the corroboration about the cupboards banging, which didn't surprise me as it's been recalled by so many who have visited the building. I guess technically you could take that part as an example of someone describing that area of the building as darker. Although reading between the lines, it didn't feel as though that area felt as scary to him as places like the basement or the entrance and the staircase near it. Which brings us to my second point. 
This feeling of evil or dread is something I've read quite a bit about during my research. In the comment sections of videos about ghost hunts around the abandoned building, it's quite common to see people who have been part of one of these tours speak about these kinds of sensations. I know in those situations, anticipation and adrenaline also play a big part in how you feel, but I think there's a genuine difference between feeling creepy out or spooked and experiencing genuine terror, which is what I've seen people describe. Then what I was particularly intrigued to hear about was the ghost of the orphanage matron dressed in a Victorian gown. If you've listened to episode 10 of our podcast, you'll know that I myself have had a paranormal experience which involved a spirit that sounds quite similar to this, so that piqued my interest anyway. But it also made me wonder whether this could be tied in with one of the most infamous stories from the Park Hospital. Just for some extra context, the orphanage actually closed in 1949 and didn't become a hospital until 1954. When it did, because it had its own dedicated psychiatric department, it largely became a hub for patients with very serious mental health conditions, and that was really what it was known for. In the early 1990s, before it closed for good, the facility took in many of the patients from Rainhill Hospital, formerly known as Rainhill Lunatic Asylum, which feels horrible to say in this day and age, but that's what it was called. What I wanted to point out by sharing this part of its history, though, is that it was a psychiatric hospital, or what would have been called an asylum, for many, many years. And at some point during that period, a nurse who worked at the hospital apparently started to see various apparitions within the building. She spoke to her colleagues about these sightings and described floating figures much like John Gray would later report. But tragically, the nurse would not survive long enough to give many further details on her experiences. Shortly after she started to encounter these spirits, her lifeless body was discovered on the staircase near the main corridor. No cause of death has ever been mentioned, and it's incredibly difficult to find out any more information about her. More about that in a moment. I do wonder whether one of the spirits the nurse saw was that same woman in a Victorian dress that John described, or alternatively, whether it was actually the nurse's ghost that he later observed. Skeptics may say that it's probably just a tale, made up to frighten people and add to the haunted history of the property, but if true, this nurse was not the only person associated with Newsham Park to die under mysterious circumstances at the estate. In 1897, when it was still an orphanage, the body of 19-year-old domestic servant Florence Hansford was found floating in one of the two lakes in the building's grounds. An inquest was ordered, but I couldn't find any information at all about the outcome, which is odd as this is something that should have been well recorded. Devastatingly, she wasn't the first person to lose their life in the lake either. According to paranormal resource The Ghost Book, in 1878, 1880, and 1891, three men had all been discovered dead in the water. The first, William Holland, was a chimney sweep who was found beneath the ice after the lake had frozen over. 
This is a bit of a gory detail, so do skip ahead a few seconds if you prefer, but the second man was found with his throat slit and had clearly not survived. Sadly, we don't know much about the third man other than that he had also passed when he was found in the lake. Now, I haven't come across any specific accounts of people saying they've had a ghostly encounter near the lake, but you've got to wonder whether some of the unknown spirits that visitors, staff and patients have observed could also have something to do with these odd incidents. Many have described how they'll feel an ice-cold touch whilst inside the former hospital, and hear whispering voices that sound like they're coming from beyond the grave. I would personally be very interested to know whether anyone has ever picked up on any paranormal energy coming from near the lakes, as this series of tragic deaths feels very off to me. I think there's more to that story. So at this point, I wouldn't blame you if you were thinking to yourself, um, Chayas, this was a Victorian orphanage full of mistreatment, a hospital and an asylum. Surely there were hundreds of identified people who passed away in the building over the decades. Why aren't we talking about them? And you would have a very good point. The answer to that question is surprisingly straightforward. It's because after the hospital closed for good in 1997, the records of not only all of the patients, but all of the staff too, were sealed for 100 years. As far as the orphanage goes, there are records held by the Royal Liverpool Seamen's Orphan Institution, but I'm not sure how accessible they are to the public. What this means is that, for the most part, we simply don't know how many residents and patients of Newsham Park passed away whilst they were there, nor details of their identities. All we can go off, assuming you're a believer of course, is that multiple full-body apparitions of both children and adults have been sighted within the building, and given the fact that it was a hospital, I would hazard a guess that there were a significant number of people whose lives ended at Newsham. Now, what this leads me on to is the very thing that prompted former employee John Gray to finally speak up about what it was like to work at the hospital at the age of 84 years old. Because the mystery that surrounds the former patients and inhabitants of the building hit a whole new level back in 2016. I already know that this part of the story is likely to start a debate or two, but I'm going to tell you what happened and then I would love to hear your take on it once you've looked at the evidence. So, around November of that year, an official tour group were due to go off on a ghost hunt through the building, organised by the well-known paranormal events group Haunted Happenings. Just before the tour started, those who had signed up to take part gathered together in one of their largest rooms, which I recognised immediately from the pictures I've already seen, and they decided to take a group photograph. I believe that a lot of their tours take place at night, and from this photo it definitely looks to be dark outside, as there's no light coming in from the windows, or even from the sides of where the windows look to be boarded up. The photo was taken by the event host, Philip Barron, who's a long-time ghost hunter himself and familiar with Newsham Park Hospital. The group members lined up, Philip snapped the photo on his phone, and they began their tour. He didn't think any more about the photo, until later on when he sent it back over to his team. And when it was posted to social media, 
many people's eyes were drawn directly to the centre of the shot, because standing amongst the smiling ghost hunt participants was what I can only describe as a corpse-like female figure. Speaking to the Liverpool Echo, Philip said that of the hundreds of photos he's taken throughout his ghost hunting adventures, this is the one that is so vivid he's just not been able to explain it away. Naturally, he faced questions from all angles about the authenticity of the image. Firstly, people queried whether it was simply a group member who had been perhaps standing in a shadow or had some kind of weird light obscuring their appearance slightly. But Philip was already ahead of this and told the newspaper, quote, We asked everyone who was there if they remember this person, but they don't. He added that he'd been to the building around 20 times previously and said, I have seen shadows and people have had strange feelings, but nothing like this. In a further interview with Yahoo News, he addressed any suggestions that the photo might have been doctored, explaining, I took the snap and then put my phone away. And during the break, three hours later, I sent it over to the office to be uploaded and thought nothing more of it. It was only the following day when I was woken by a flurry of instant messages and saw the number of comments on the post, I had a proper look at the photo. There's been no Photoshop work. I just lightened the picture a little as it was quite dark and sent it over. I've no idea what it is, but I'm very interested to find out. Even the founder of Haunted Happenings, Hazel Ford, weighed in on the situation after the public began to come up with theory after theory to try and debunk the authenticity of the image. In that same 2016 Yahoo article, she said... I'm not prepared to say it is paranormal or not at this stage. We just don't know. We've stripped it down to prove it's not being edited. We've emailed everyone who attended that night, but no one's come forward to say it's them. Someone suggested it could be a skull on someone's t-shirt, but we don't think it's that either. The size of the face is totally out of proportion to everyone else in the picture. Lots of things about it don't add up. It's really strange. And I am with her on that. It is incredibly strange. I'm going to put the photo up on our Instagram page so you can see it for yourself. Full credit to Philip Barron and Haunted Happenings, of course. But I would be very intrigued to hear what you think. For me, oh, I don't know. I want to believe it's real so badly. I have spent more time than I care to admit staring at it, trying to come to a conclusion on my stance. As I say, I have had ghostly experiences and I absolutely believe in them, but I sometimes feel that unless you encounter something firsthand, i.e. unless you were the person who took that photo on your own phone, I think you're always going to have some element of doubt in your mind. Could it have been a super coincidental trick of the light? Could someone back at the office have played a prank? I just can't say for sure. I'm absolutely not suggesting that happened, by the way. I'm just playing devil's advocate, really. Then add on to this the fact that there's no way to cross-reference the appearance of this figure with the records of those who were in and around the facility whilst it was operational. At least, not until 2097, so that feels like another dead end. 
Plus, when reporters asked John Gray whether he might have recognised the figure, which has come to be known as Ghost Girl from his time working at Newsham Park, he confirmed that he couldn't place her at all. So that rules out a time period of at least 13 years when it comes to possibly identifying her. I've had a look for more recent updates on the photo, but there doesn't seem to have been much discussion about it since around 2017. So for now, it remains a question mark as does the fate of the building itself, it seems. Almost every source I've read over in preparation for this episode seems to mention something different when it comes to the future of the former asylum. It looks to have been bought and sold at least a couple of times, and there's been talk in the past about converting the whole property into a number of apartments, but it looks like permission for that wasn't granted. I've also seen suggestions about turning it into a formal events venue, as in totally renovating it and adding in all new facilities. But as far as I can see, the interior of the building looks pretty much the same as it did in the series of photos from 2015. However, just a few days ago, Newsham Park Hospital popped up in a news article as it was announced that the current owners have teamed up with this huge scare attraction company to create what they've called Newsham Scream Park. From what I can tell, tickets have been released for three different experience tours within the building, which are designed to be as terrifying as possible for the intended audience, basically like a real-life haunted house. According to the Manchester Evening News, the building was entirely closed for 18 months a few years back to carry out fire protection work, I assume to make it safer for the organised trip groups to be on site. Based on this, and the fact ghost tours look to be running regularly around the building, it seems that this is currently its main function. I also found the Newsham Park Hospital's Instagram page, which showed that it's also been used as a film set recently too, so I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for what that's all about. It is a filmmaker's dream, like I said at the start of this episode. It honestly looks like a ready-made horror movie set, and if you do have a peek at the pictures, you'll know exactly what I mean. So, everything said, what do I make of this tale? My answer is somewhat layered and has really evolved as I've read more and more about the place. As a general rule, I always like to hold off from making a judgement about just how haunted I think somewhere might be until I visit myself and see how I feel. For example, when I visited the Overton Bridge, which is the location I discussed back in episode 8, I'd anticipated feeling really creeped out, but I didn't feel half as scared as I thought I would. My husband, however, who is far more sceptical than I am, said he felt really grim when we were there, so it was a strange experience. But then, on the total flip side of the argument, just by spending so long looking at all the photos of Newsham Park Hospital and reading things like John Gray's interview, I'm already fairly convinced that I would be terrified to go on a ghost tour around the site. I'm as certain as I can be that that place is truly haunted. 
I generally get a real kick out of being scared. I'm all about horror films and Halloween events with people dressed up, jumping out at you. Love it. But when it comes to paranormal investigations, I take them really seriously. And there are certain lines I won't cross. That's the general feeling I get about Newsham. If someone offered me the chance to go tomorrow, I'd have to think long and hard about it because I am just sure I would be frightened out of my wits. Oh, who am I kidding? I would definitely go, but I'd be very cautious. I just hope that the Newsham spirits enjoy company because now that it's gained a reputation as one of Northern England's most haunted places, I have a feeling that paying guests will be visiting for a very long time to come. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh gosh, I have given myself shivers whilst putting this episode together more times than I can count. Please do let me know where you land on this one, especially after having a look at the photos I will put up on our Instagram page. I'll include that group shot I mentioned as well as a few others too. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. If you're from the Liverpool area, I would also be so intrigued to know whether you'd heard of Newsham Park Hospital before. Maybe you've driven or walked past it but hadn't realised the extent of its spooky history. Perhaps you have family who knew it as a hospital or asylum in years past and have heard other strange stories from the facility. Do let me know, I could honestly keep talking about this place forever. But for now, it's time to move on to the part of each episode loads of you always tell me you look forward to. Here's Weird Media. I feel that once again, we're well overdue a book recommendation for Weird Media. And given the time of year, I just knew I had to give this one a shout out today. I know that many people consider The Silence of the Lambs to be one of the creepiest films ever made, but what you may not know is that the book it's based on is just as intensely captivating as the movie. I'm sure many of you who are dedicated horror fans will have already devoured the Hannibal Lecter books written by Thomas Harris, but just in case you haven't, this is your sign to give The Silence of the Lambs book ago. I will say that along with The Green Mile, the film is, in my opinion, one of the best adaptations of a novel I've ever seen. So the story is fairly consistent book to movie. What makes it so gripping is how fascinating the characters are. Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling in particular. And with the book, you obviously get a deeper insight into these characters, as well as the serial killer Buffalo Bill too. There's only so much character development that you can fit into a film. And although they did a great job, there's lots more to them all in the book. Then in addition to all of this, Thomas Harris's writing style is just right up my street. I know that's a really personal thing, but I found even his less critically acclaimed books such a treat to read. There's just something about the way he writes that I love. 
I do agree with people who say that there are elements of both the book and the film that are quite dated now, given that the book was written in the 80s and the film was released in 1991, but I know the same can be said for a lot of media from those times. Also, you might have heard some negative things about Harris's novel Hannibal, which is set after The Silence of the Lambs, and yes, the ending is a disappointment. But don't let that cloud your view of The Silence of the Lambs book, because they are apples and oranges in my view. I couldn't think of many better spooky season books to dive into, so do let me know if you decide to give it a read. And if it's one you've already finished, I would love to know what you made of it too. Okay, I ended up reading a huge amount during my research for this story. Every new part of it sent me down a different rabbit hole. So I'll try to be as speedy as possible with my source shoutouts. We had three different articles from the Liverpool Echo newspaper, one by Josh Parry from June 2015, and two separate ones by Rebecca Consciency from May 2017. I've really tried to pronounce her name correctly, I hope I'm at least somewhere near. There was that BBC interview with Phyllis Gallimore by Louise McWatt from back in 2007. The feature on theghostbook.co.uk, which was fantastic. The Yahoo News article by Andy Wells from November 2016, and a piece from the Mirror newspaper by Stephen White from July 2022. We had that more recent article from the Liverpool World website. That was by Emma Dukes from this month, October 2023. The site The Guide Liverpool had a great piece on the property from earlier this year. That was by Chris Grundy. There was that Manchester Evening News piece by Daisy Jackson from October 2020. And there were some handy records from the late 1800s on the site old-merseytimes.co.uk too. Finally, there was a really helpful article on hauntedrooms.co.uk. Another speedy rundown of all the ways you can get in touch. Over on Instagram, our handle is at Things Get Weird Podcast. There's always something happening there. On Facebook, there's both the private discussion group and the main podcast page too. Just search for Things Are About To Get Weird and they should both pop up. Our Twitter or X isn't super active, but over there we are at about to get weird. Our email address is thingsgetweirdpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, our merch and Patreon pages are linked in the show notes as always. A huge thank you for listening today and for your star ratings on Spotify and written reviews on Apple Podcasts too. We hit 500 Spotify ratings last week and it made my day, so a big thank you once again. If you've enjoyed this episode and fancy leaving a rating or review today, it's a great free way to support the podcast. So until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, but the good kind of weird. Thank you.